This episode of the Short Side Option Podcast is brought to you by a new sponsor, the Email Boys, or EBs, a brand established in 2014 in Aggieville, Kansas, by a group of close friends whose bond was forged by K-State Sports, Aggieville After Hours debauchery, and a penchant for co-eds. The Email Boys were there for the loss to Kentucky in the 2014 NCAA tournament loss in St. Louis. What started as a group staying in touch over an email chain post-graduation evolved faster than a Terrence Newman into a multi-dimensional content churner of fresh takes on K-State football and basketball, barbecue, alcohol, and cryptocurrency. With hubs in KC, MHK, Wichita, and Boston, the Email Boys continued to thrive nationally while maintaining the roots of its founding members and boasting the greatest university and team in the nation the Kansas State University Wildcats. Happy to have the email boys on board. And folks, now it's time for that familiar Knopfler riff. It's time for a new episode of The Short Side Option. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. It's Chris Sork here alongside Dilu as uh, we look at the K-State Wildcats here as we enter the 2020 season, uh, just a little over a week away from kickoff uh, at uh, Bill Snyder Family Stadium against Arkansas State. Uh, a season that uh, you know we're excited for, didn't know if it was going to happen, but here we are, uh, just a few days away from it, and uh, we've got a lot to talk about here, uh, Dilu. So. Let's go ahead and right get, get on into it. Uh, K-State, coming off of a decent season last year, 8-5. I'd say it was a nice season. Would you agree? They had a nice season. And and may I say, it's nice to be back recording a podcast. Gosh, it you. is. It's, it's been a while. Yeah, we haven't. I haven't seen you here to record one of these podcasts in, in six months or so, back since March. Oh, even longer, I believe. I think, it, I think the last one we had was right before the Liberty Bowl. You may be right. Yeah. So I mean, it, it's been a bit of a hiatus, but you know, here here we are. Yeah. Well, so, we're, we're back again. We're back again. And we're preparing for a, a great college football season. Yeah. Well, and you know, it's um, obviously um, exciting to have you know just the season being right, um, you know, right on the midst here of us. Uh, obviously, getting into conference play a little bit earlier than we when we maybe thought uh, with it, the second game going on the road to Oklahoma. But let's first touch on uh, a little bit of what we've got uh, coming back offensively. How does that sound? That sounds great, Mr. Icon. Well, let's just get right on into it. So K-State returns three offensive starters. I would say almost three and a half offensive starters uh, when you look at Josh Revis on the offensive line. But uh, let's just go ahead and kind of get right into it here. K-State, I guess when you look Wait, at... Wait, three offensive starters, that can't be right. Yeah, that's right, man. Well, I guess we're not calling Trotter a starter last year. No, no. I mean, he didn't start the majority of games. Yeah, fair enough. So, yeah. And, you know, I, I've got my uh, trusty Phil Steele a college football magazine from me, and he, so says, he says we have three offensive starters. Are you calling Phil Steele a liar? Is that what I'm hearing? Well, yeah. If the shoe fits? No, no, you're right. Uh, no, so, I, I would I never... Mean, but with Skylar Thompson, uh, Malik Knowles, Nick Lenners, the three that are, he lists, but I, I'm giving Josh Revis kind of that that half of a, of a starter because he really did play quite a bit uh, on the offensive line uh, really throughout the season, especially even uh, more so late on the season. But 
really kind of the headliner is with uh, with this offensive line or with this uh, offense is uh, a really a complete changeover on the offensive line. Uh, Revis really the only guy uh, that did play last year with any with any sort of returning experience this year. K State I felt like got I would say solid play out of their offensive line mm. at, at at solid on what I should say when I define solid. I'd say it's really relatively consistent in terms of they weren't really ever going to, in terms of their talent, they weren't going to wow you. But they, they executed in some cases better than others. But you could usually count on a, a relatively consistent performance out of them, although it wasn't really ever at, at too high of a level, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I think some games they definitely performed better than others. I mean, take games like Oklahoma, Oklahoma sure. or or especially KU, but Oklahoma is the one that really wowed people, yeah. um, what, what they were doing there. But overall, I would say probably middle of the road. Yeah, um, just a middle, a middle of the road, road Big 12 offensive line. Yeah, and I, I think that when you look at the, going into 2020, with that kind of being the, the bar to cross – that doesn't seem like an unachievable uh, hurdle to clear, especially with you know a a group that, albeit is young, has had you know two full years now uh, in you know in the uh, the program under Connor Riley, the offensive line coach. You have to feel like that benefits obviously not having spring football, uh, certainly a detriment. But not what you want. Not what you want. But you do have to feel that, you know, the offensive line last year at times, against I I, I think of a couple games that come to mind. Uh, West Virginia I thought was one of the weaker games, and I also thought uh, Baylor were probably their two worst games. Yeah, throw Navy in there. Yeah, Navy. I mean, when when the offense I think gets 180 yards of offense. Um, now, granted, they weren't on the field a whole lot uh, with Navy eating up the clock, but uh, you know those are games that kind of stick to mind. Uh, you know where where K State's offensive line fell flat. Uh, but talk about kind of how you see that offensive line transitioning here in twenty twenty uh, as as K State looks to you know they're getting a little bit younger on that offensive line. Uh, how do you see that production you know kind of taking over? Well, it's it's odd when you have a guy like. As young as Revis being kind of the the veteran of the group, um, you know he's certainly not going to be the oldest guy on the offensive line, but he's the guy with the most experience. And trying to guess the, I mean, project who the offensive line is even going to be this year is a bit of a challenge. Right now, best guesses are uh, Christian Duffy at the uh, left tackle. Uh, Revis, Johnson, Ben Adler, and uh, Leviston at the right tackle, I suppose. But uh, you're going to have guys like Dawson Delforge, uh, BB in there in the mix, too. Uh, And then uh, the depth-wise, not great. Um, And so in a season where there's two fewer games in it, now, granted, there's a lot of other variables at play that could affect uh, depth along the way. Um, but you're hopeful that fewer games, maybe less injury and less uh, prone there. But offensive line, I think, is going to be a huge question mark, and it's just going to be a matter of uh, can Josh Revis you know, kind of lead this group and be the linchpin, and can the 
new faces, the other four or five new faces that see a lot of time this season uh, step up and put it together. And like you alluded to, it's not like they have an all-world, all-conference offensive line to replace. Sure, yeah. Um, you know, it's be an, if they can be an average offensive line unit this year and kind of build towards the future, I think that's the goal. Um, but that's certainly the question mark moving into the season. Yeah, and, you know, what would be really great is if this offensive line does gel together because they would all return next year, um, I believe, unless – I. It's listing Noah Johnson as a um, as a um, as a junior here, but he's actually a senior. So one typo there from Phil Steele. So mm. we we have to uh, we have to uh, admonish him there on that. But uh, yeah, still. But you know, he might be back next year with the exactly eligibility and stuff. So. With the eligibility, and this, you know, this is his first year of real game action uh, on the offensive line. So uh, certainly could be. Um, however. You do bring up a good point in in terms of building towards twenty twenty one. These guys are all going to you know still be around. You have to really like what you know things go well. Uh, what that unit could look like going forward, but you know I, I kind of look at it the same way. My whole take on the offensive line this year going into spring ball was, uh, you know I'm not really too concerned about the offensive line because the offensive line last year wasn't really that good. I don't think it's going to take a Herculean effort for them to be about the same. Going right. in, going into twenty twenty, now without w- without spring ball, without spring practice, without any of that really, that makes me walk that back a little bit because I'm a little bit more concerned about that. That you know maybe that is maybe asking them to be just average is maybe a little too tough. Yeah. Um, so that that's the biggest unknown, and it, it's you know I think while I think K State you know going into um, you know, going into Chris Kleiman's second year, going eight and five, upsetting OU, being ranked for you know a good portion of, or being ranked uh, kind of late into October, still or late into October, early November, and still having you know a chance entering November to get to Arlington for the Big Twelve Championship. Uh, you kind of had to look at that and say, you know, this has been a pretty darn good first season. And by all all accounts, Chris Kleiman's first year was a success at K-State. However, with, uh, with this kind of this youngish offensive line, I think it's kind of detracting away maybe some of the media attention that you would say, you know what, after an 8-4 season and, you know, quarterback coming back, Returning, you know, half their defense uh, starters on defense, including, you know, what I think might be the preseason Big Twelve player of the uh, of the year on defense with Wyatt Hubert. Uh, you could say, yeah, this is a team that could definitely char- challenge for you know top three or four in the conference, and maybe be a, a, a challenger for a conference title game. But I think people look at that offensive line and say, you know what, mm, got to pump the brakes here on K, K- State because. They're just re- replacing too much on that offensive line. Yeah, Connor Riley's definitely going to have his work cut out for him. But, you know, Connor Riley's got the bona fides for North Dakota State, put together some great units up there. And uh, so it's kind of a wild card. I mean, if you're replacing all guys on an average unit, it's yeah. it's it, it could go either way. Now, it's probably going to be more of a challenge to get to average, and it is uh, – they're more, they're more likely to be worse just because that's how things usually go. Sure. But when the starters they're replacing weren't 
all world and you got some new faces who are pretty young and uh, have some decent potential then especially guys like Leviston for instance a guy yeah. that you know you look at him and you think this guy's just a unit oh yeah absolutely um, I mean when you look at him, when you look at him he's a guy you want coming off the bus first if you can I mean that what what's his uh, I don't have his measurables in front of me but he's got to go what about six six 315, 320. Yeah, he's a big old dog. Um, I'm looking him up now, if I can find him. You've got him at 6'4", 345. <laughs> okay, so 315 was generous. Uh, I, I was he, he, t- he took quite a bit of a haircut at, if he was getting to 315. Yeah. So, so 350, 6'4", that's, that's an NFL uh, tackle body right there. And then some. And then some. So... Uh, well, let's let's kind of get off the offensive line here, and let's uh, kind of transition to the guy who uh, they're going to be protecting uh, with Skylar Thompson back for really, I mean, gosh, his his uh, his third year being a full, pretty much a full time starter, I would say. Yeah. Um, obviously, got uh, some starts his redshirt freshman year back in twenty seventeen. Uh, got some starts his redshirt sophomore year as well. Yeah. Uh, with uh, with that, and now going into his senior year, his last go round here, um, the book on Skyler I feel like is pretty well documented. Nice little runner, throws a nice looking ball, leaves the pocket a little bit early, has some inconsistent games. Yeah, exactly. Does, I that, mean, does that fit the scouting report pretty well to you? As of as of this date. Absolutely. And I, I think this season's a real opportunity for Skylar Thompson to establish his legacy and whether he's going to be remembered is just kind of one of those transient uh, quarterbacks throughout the years that, you know, they had a lot of snaps, they played a lot of games. Um, guys, I mean, whether you're just going to be another quarterback in the K-State history book or whether you're going to transcend that level – and be remembered as a guy who's, you know, potentially a top five quarterback in K-State history. I think that's still within his reach, depending on what he does this That's year. crazy to me, right? What? I mean, that's just, it, it doesn't seem like he really, and I'm not trying to just no. rail on the guy here, but it just seems like he, like to mention him in the same category as like, Roberson, Roberson, Klein, Bishop, Klein, Freeman, Waters. I mean, May. That, that seems to be like he doesn't fit into that group. He absolutely, absolutely nowhere near that group right now. But that's my point: oh, is that okay. if he comes out and yeah, a, and has a great, if he has a Jake Waters senior year, then he's in the conversation for sure. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if he puts up crazy and numbers, have, and he's going to have the numbers just well, due to. He probably won't have the numbers, but only because they're artificially limited because he's playing in two fewer games. Well, that's a good point. But, good but point. the point is is that if he goes out and wins, let's say, eight or nine games this year, then he'll be remembered as a guy who, who started a lot of games. I mean, he started for – I mean, it's really pretty much started for three straight years. Yeah, shepherded – I mean, there was the Delton stuff. Essentially, but, yeah. But he has an opportunity to be a guy who shepherded in – the Kleiman era, mm-hmm. and yep. and kind of put the bow on the Snyder era, and transitioned us into the new the K State program post Bill Snyder two Yeah, and so if if he comes out and has a dynamite season, then 
I, th- I think absolutely he could have uh, that legacy and, and be remembered like uh, one of the greats in K-State fans' memories. Okay, so, and I, and I don't disagree with that. I think it, that's uh, – but he's got work to do is yeah, my point. I, I, because I think, right now it's – Yeah, I think, that's a, I think that's a tall ask um, for him because I – and we'll get into you know some of the things that I think are going to limit him here in a little bit. But let's just kind of talk about what – uh, what else K-State has behind Skylar Thompson? Because I feel like most K-State fans that are listening to this have seen Skylar Thompson play. They kind of know what to expect from him. And we'll, get, we'll, we'll touch more on Skylar here in a little bit. But, um, you know, currently backing the guy, backing Skylar up is uh, Nick Ost, uh, who got some time last year. Uh, and then the I guess the one kind of quarterback battle, so to speak. It's not so much for the backup job, but it's for the third string job between uh, Jaron Lewis and Will Howard. Uh, Will Howard being uh, one of the K-State's uh, top-rated quarterback recruit coming out of the last um, of the last class. And then, of course, in 2021, Jake Rubley will be entering the picture, uh, the four-star recruit um, out of Colorado, now playing in Iowa, uh, since uh, Colorado is not playing high school football moves up to Iowa and is playing there. So K-State, right now you have to say we feel pretty good about our situation in the quarterback room, not necessarily just for this year, but for the future. And that's, you know, as we saw in 2017 uh, and 2015 and, you know, a number of other years where um, having – Excess quarterback depth is, you know, something that uh, you can definitely cherish because you know, Jake or uh, Jesse Ers goes down first play of the 2015 season, and you know, K State's playing, you know, their 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 wide receiver at quarterback at, at, in the conference opener just just a month later. So things can change for you. So having having a quality of of depth of quarterbacks. Is something that you love to see. Yeah, I haven't seen. I haven't been this impressed with K State's quarterback room since probably uh, December of 2005, when you had Dylan Meyer there. You had uh, guys like Kevin Lapina mm-hmm. waiting in the wings, and then we just signed a uh, or just got a commitment from this hot shot out of uh, Kansas City named Josh Freeman. We oh thought, yeah. Oh man, this is looking. Features look bright. Oh, absolutely. Hundred um, percent. And K State was set at quarterback for quite a while yeah, after that, and so you, you got to like where we're at. But no, I think uh, the quarterback position right now, I think it's great to have a a serviceable uh, guy like uh, Skylar Thompson in there with some decent experience behind him, or at least older guys behind him, guys like Nick Aust, Nick Aust and uh, Will Howard, and coming in the wings, uh, waiting in the wings is going to be Jake Rubley and. We'll worry about uh, that battle come the future, and then you got a guy like uh, Jaron Lewis, who's uh, also, by all accounts, a pretty talented slinger as well. Well, and the, the thi- I'm going to get back to, to Skyler here after kind of discussing just the overall depth of the quarterback room, but let's let's focus in on Skyler here before we move on uh, to the to the skill position uh, guys. I have to think that with Skyler coming into to what could be his last season at K State, obviously we made mention earlier. That um, that with uh, you know NCAA regulations that have gotten passed, uh, you, you essentially get an extra year uh, if you want it. And now some now Skylar Thompson will have been at K State since 
since 2016. So he'll be there for he redshirted in 2016. So by the time he you know gets through uh, you know this season, he he may want to move on. I, I I can't begin to speculate what his um, what his uh, heart what his heart desires and what he wants to do. Uh, if he wants to go play uh, at the next level or what the case is. But uh, presuming that maybe he does, coming back next year is an option. Uh, with that being said, let's talk about Skylar Thompson this year. What He's losing his, his probably his best receiver in terms of just his most consistent re- receiver uh, last year in uh, Dalton Schoen. Um, what do you think about kind of what uh, Skyler is going to have to work with this year. Uh, and, you know, I thought one thing that really did work well for Skyler last year was really kind of going to more of a pro-style uh, pro style game, letting him kind of, you know, not throw the ball 35 times a game, 30 times a game, making it simple for him and, you know, let him throw the ball in rhythm. That's really where he's at his best, throwing the ball in the rhythm outside of the numbers and then, uh, you know, taking a shot deep on a post every now and then. Uh, but kind of what, what does a successful year from Skylar Thompson look like to you? I mean, I think it's just the idea that, he, that we're running Courtney Messingham's offense uh, properly. And I think a lot of times that does fall back to what the, what the quarterback does and where the quarterback's comfortable. I think he touched on it perfectly. I think ideally Skylar Thompson is not throwing the ball 30-plus times a game, that he's throwing it. Closer to the in the twenty mark, twenty five mark, uh, or maybe even fewer, depending on yeah. the circumstances. But just making those good throws off play actions, maybe mixing in some RPO and finding his guys in uh, rhythm. I think a, a big part of this, and I'm sure we'll touch on uh, receivers here in a second, but a big part of this is going to be just Malik Knowles staying healthy. Yeah, because that that was a huge problem last year and. Malik Knowles, you know, we talk about Schoen being the everyday guy, being the consistent target for him, but uh, when Malik Knowles was healthy, it was oh. he was a game changer. Oh, yeah, and, and, and he's by far the most um, explosive wide receiver we have in the passing game, I would say. Um, and he was last year, too, but like, as you mentioned, just being hampered by injuries all throughout the season really put a, put a wet blanket on that one. Absolutely, and and so and but also the ancillary targets aside from Knowles. I mean, Phil Brooks, the best in the world, best in the world, and Wyking Gill, uh, serviceable targets for him last year, and then also get ready for the rise of Youngblood because I think that's going to be a guy who finds his way more in the more consistently in the offense. I mean, I don't Youngblood wasn't a very often target. No, for, no, not uh, at all. But really, how he was using the offense was really just on on you know jet sweeps, gadget and, type of stuff. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you swinging know, the ball out wide to him on a screen. Towards the end of the season, he started getting more looks. But I think just another year in the system and another year getting comfortable with Skylar Thompson. I think I, I would not be surprised to see Youngblood uh, utilized more in the passing game and just provide another target for Thompson. Uh, whether he gets the thousand yards receiving, thousand yards rushing, thousand yards kickoff returns, as he promised, yeah, uh, that'd that, be quite. The, he's setting the uh, the goals high, which you love to see. I like it, and you know, it, 
I don't know how many carries he's going to get this year. So the thousand yards rushing might yeah. be kind of hard for him. That might be a damn near impossible if I was going to be honest with you. Yeah, I'm not sure he gets ten carries, let alone ten carries from the one yard line. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. We'll see. It'll be interesting. But he is. He does have explosiveness that K State, you know, often has in in good offenses that K State has had. They do have that guy that's explosive. You know. Uh, not always, just about young blood size. Yeah, and not yeah. It doesn't have to be a you know six foot three Julio Jones you know type specimen or anything like that. It's been you look at guys like Brandon Banks, uh, Aaron Lockett, Aaron Lockett, Tremaine Thompson, Tremaine Thompson, Tyler Deion, Lockett, Deion I mean, Murphy. I think Dion was a little bit bigger than some of the other guys. Well, he was he wasn't exactly Hercules out there, uh, but anyway, nonetheless. Uh, you know, obviously Youngblood, an All-American uh, candidate as a kick and punt returner. Uh, he'll be, you know, heavily relied upon there as well. Uh, one guy I wanted to talk about, and it's a new face here for K-State, is, um, is Briley Moore, uh, the, the much ballyhooed uh, tight end transfer from the University of Northern Iowa. Um, you know, you say, well, how how ballyhooed is is yeah, a guy? Icon. He's from Northern Iowa. You yeah. can't have that much ballyhoo. He's one of the top rated draft eligible tight ends going into next year's NFL draft. Huh? By several draft industry insiders. Well, I know you've been keeping up with your your people in the oh yeah with your insiders in the draft. Well, you know, I actually talked to a coach just the other day in the Missouri Valley Conference, and he says, you know, that he thinks Bradley Moore is going to be a I'll, I'll tell you what he said. He's, and this is a quote: "A matchup nightmare for opposing defensive coordinators in the Big 12." So, you know, when you hear that from uh, a well-embedded mole in the Missouri Valley Conference, who 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 is? He? I can't tell you that deal. You know that man. I can't I gotta, blame a guy for crying. I gotta have my integrity, brother. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so this is a guy. I mean, he. This is a target here. Six three two fifty. They give Skylar Thompson, kind of what we talked about. A security blanket on, on those short intermediate throws that you know not only is he going to be able to be an asset in in the uh, the passing game, but at six three two fifty he is more than capable of holding his own. Uh, you know, as a as a blocker on the line and as a guy who can seal the edge on, on linebackers. Um, I think that Briley Moore is going to be, uh, you know, someone. Uh, and not only just Briley Moore, but I also think that uh, Sammy Wheeler, who had kind of a nice uh, couple games here for, for K-State, uh, as well as uh, maybe Connor Fox gets into the into the mix at, at tight end. But, you know, last year K-State kind of had Nick Linners as that kind of, you know, hybrid fullback inline tight end. But I think with, with Moore and, and Sammy Wheeler – uh, at tight end, I think that gives K State some nice options there. Well, yeah, and, and if you're if you've ever watched North Dakota State games under Kleiman, I mean, you know that the tight ends are frequently utilized there. And when you have a guy like, no disrespect here, but when you have a guy like, what did you say, uh, Linners? Yeah, Nick Linners. Year? Nick Linners, uh, Gammon. I mean, uh, your, it's your past. These guys aren't exactly. Tony Gonzalez out there. No, I, they're they're not Frank Wycheck. No, is what I, no, what no one's confusing them for Frank Wycheck. Yeah, and so I feel like the offense last year was a little bit hamstrung, um, losing one of these uh, one of the key weapons in the Messingham offense, 
And so I, I think this year could be another story and it could add another dynamic. Well, and I should say that Sammy Wheeler provided some good stuff last year. Yeah, oh, 100%. And so it's it wasn't a total wash. I, I don't want to put it like we didn't have a tight end all season last year. You know, I think... But we, after he went down, we pretty yeah. much didn't. We pretty much just had six offensive linemen. And in my memory is a little fuzzy here, but I remember he had that one really, really, really nice catch against Oklahoma State that we didn't really get to see because... ESPN Plus just came back from an outage, and then like you, there was like an outage and a rain delay, and like I think the camera that that captured his catch was unmanned, so like you could see at the very far end of the frame was like Sammy Wheeler catching the ball, kind of going out of bounds or you know up against the boundary. But no, he he provides. We only found out about it because you know. Guys like D. Scott were out there just grinding, grinding, yeah, and just tweeting about this fantastic play that only he and the people in attendance actually saw. Exactly. Well, that uh, that was certainly a well a game to forget for K State is they I think Chuba Hubbard's still running and um, you know offense didn't really do much there, but uh, a, a game that you know K State will will uh, will get a chance to get the opportunity for revenge. Uh, this year, as we welcome the Pokes to uh, to Manhattan, but yeah, just going to touch on the on the uh, tight end situation. You, I mean, you've got some serious size here: six three two fifty for more. Sammy Wheeler six four two twenty five. That I mean, those are some big targets. And K State hasn't really ever thrown the tight end. I mean, let's be honest: under Snyder, one and two. Outside of uh, Justin Swift and. Um, you know, Thomas Hill got a little action. Thomas Hill, Brian Casey got some. Thomas Hill, Brian Casey. Those are, I think the rest of the uh, wide, or tight ends combined might have like six catches. <laughs> yeah. Andre McDonald, like I just had really high hopes you for. You did. You you were a big fan of his. Yeah, I just wish they would have thrown at the tight end more, man. Oh, He's always open, man. Yeah. Always open. Safety blanket. But, but uh, no, Briley Moore, I, I think, is going to be a bright spot. In, in terms of uh, new offensive phases this year, I think – Bradley Moore is the easiest guy to get excited about. Not 100%. only because the other new faces are pretty much all offensive linemen. Well, you know, I would say, yeah, that that's true. And, you know, there's a couple – I guess the one offensive lineman that I think might contribute that, and that's a brand new one, is Dawson, Dawson Delforge. And he was relatively highly, you know, rated coming out of junior college. He's going to be a guy that I think will get in the rotation – um, early on, just speaking of newcomers, but you know the the wide receiver tied in group, I feel okay about. I don't feel like it's overly talented. I feel like it's probably a middle of the road unit in the Big Twelve. But I feel like with Malik Knowles, if he's able to stay healthy and give you you know ten full games, I think that can be a pretty dangerous unit. I, I feel pretty good about uh, you know where K State sets uh, at. Going into um, going into uh, to twenty twenty, and even better feeling about what could be in the future in twenty twenty one because, as you said, all those guys are relatively young. One guy that we didn't mention is Sebastian Taylor, who you know had some moments too. A big physical wide receiver, another guy that uh, that gives Skylar Thompson some weapons to throw to. It's a, he's a little bit of a different dynamic compared to the. You know, uh, Knowles and some of the the more of a, shrimpy guys. Yeah, who more are talented, and, but they're yeah. not big targets. And Knowles is definitely, I mean, taller. He's six two, but 
Sebastian with being you know six three six four more of a possession build in terms of wide yeah. receiver gives gives you something a little bit different there. So let's wrap up the offense by going to the running back position. Um, obviously, with what you saw with K State did last year, the running back position, a ton of you know a ton of uh, options back there. I mean, really, Joe Irvin and Jacardi Wright both got action as true freshmen, which is something. You know, you would never see before, you know, during Snyder. He, he had a bell cow running back, and that was it. The only other one I can think of was Sproles, who saw a yeah. little bit of time in a little bit of time. Uh, 2000, uh, well, I guess it was 2001. Yeah. Um, when he was number 32, mm-hmm. which That's not very right. many people know about. Many people forget that. Many people do. Uh, but, yeah, so a lot of, uh, well, at least two true, true freshmen last year seeing some significant time. Yeah, and this is a this is a unit I feel like that will miss what we have. I thought honestly, one of the things that gets overlooked, I would say, is how quickly Kleiman and company were able to put together a running back room that was literally in shambles, empty. I mean, empty. There was no there was no room to be had. I mean, there, there was plenty of room to be had because the room is empty and. Yeah, stretch out. Explore yeah, stretch out. <laughs> you got plenty Come of Come right in. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, you've got guys like Joe Irvin, speedier back, a little bit more diminutive, 5'8", 190. Harry Trotter, who K-State fans will remember uh, fondly for just absolutely bulldozing uh, the Jayhawks last year at the booth. I mean, you, you remember that fondly, don't you? I, I remember it very fondly, Mr. Icon. Yeah, that was that was wonderful stuff out of him. And uh, Tyler Burns, he had a nice game in that in that game as well. Yeah, I mean that Tyler Burns' performance against KU was frankly shocking. Well, because he we came had, in looking like he was like Thomas Clayton. Oh yeah, he was just, <laughs> he well was and, steamrolling. And so obviously, uh, well maybe I shouldn't say obviously, but you may recognize that name Burns. Burns. Where where do I recognize? Well, he's Morgan Burns, former K State uh, kick returner. Uh, it's his younger brother. And uh, out of Wichita, and he um, he's going to be an option for K State this year in the backfield. Um, I think K State under Messingham and, and Kleiman. I think what they want to do is they want to have have a rotation of about four, maybe five guys that can that can go out and give you you know five to six carries a piece, and then you know if they Keep think fresh. if they think you're the hot hand that game, and it could it could. I remember watching one of their games in the. Uh, in the uh, the playoff, the uh, the FCS playoff, where you know they had four or five guys rotating in, and you know maybe it's the fifth string guy that day that just had the hot hand. They were they were they would ride him. Yeah, maybe uh, a guy like Clyde Price gets in the mix a little bit and just gets six or seven carries in some game, and that's that's our bell cow. Yeah, the he's the got game. he's got forty yards, and let's ride him. Well, and we saw that last year with with Jordan Brown and James Gilbert going down with injury that. You know, you need to have a stable of running backs when you when you do uh, run the ball and want to run the ball as often as K State hopes to do. And honestly, it's a pretty green group. I mean, with when you're looking at you know three of your of your top four running backs: Joe Irvin, Tyler Burns, Jacardia Wright. Don't really have much experience. They got their feet wet a little bit last year, but Harry Trotter is the most experienced, and not to knock him, he's probably the least athletically gifted of that group. Um, 
it'll be interesting to see how they mix and match that group throughout the season. Yeah, no, I do like I, I agree with you. I think that uh, Trotter probably has the lowest athletic upside to him of the but, four but, or five guys but in the game. But I will say this, and I'm not trying to be overly hard on the guy, but you know, he's proven to be a perfectly capable running back. I mean, I won't say he's you know, now granted, you t- take it, his performance into KU, you take that one out. I mean, against Texas, he kind of he kind of had some tough time finding daylight, but I think that was also due a lot to, you know, Texas handling the line of scrimmage. Texas uh, has a pretty pretty good front seven. And they uh, they handled that. And, I mean, by the end of the season, we were kind of banged up all throughout the, uh, all throughout the offensive line, all throughout the running back uh, group. And uh, I don't think Trotter was much different there. So he, I think he serves as a as a serviceable uh, option. But I think the the upside with the other three a little bit higher. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to. I don't want Trotter to be you know the bell cow and get fifteen twenty carries a game every game. Uh, but I don't think I I don't expect him to either. And I am glad he's here because I think it's nice to have a. a a guy who's older, who's been around, and who got significant playing time last 100%. year in the group. 100%. And so I, I think there's some value there, and, and I think the unit right now and moving forward is in pretty good shape. Hard, hard to argue with that. Um, we will see what um, what transpires here. But I, I would expect to see, is, is there one running back that you like more than anyone else out of that group that, that you would like to see maybe get uh, – that starting job, yeah, I think uh, I think Wright would be my favorite, um, only because I I had a total change of heart with him last season. I, I mean, I think I forget which one, but one of the out of conference games last year, he got some uh, a few carries, and I just remember being pretty unimpressed. Yeah, I think it was the Bowling Green game. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely right, and I was I was unimpressed with him. He looked just. Really raw. And well, and he, he ran, ran really upright. Very, very upright. Very upright. And then you you look at what he did against Iowa State, for example. Yeah. And it yeah. was just night and day. It, I mean, he was just. Well, and that was a game where you know he kind of got leaned on uh, to be the 100%. you know the the primary ball carrier, and uh, you know that was such an odd game. I mean, K State threw the ball maybe like nine times that game. Uh, against Iowa well, State. Well, just because of the conditions. Yeah, too. the conditions were, were brutal, and you knew you were going to have to rely on, on the running game, and you didn't know who you were going to have to rely on in the running game because... Turns I mean, out it was a true freshman. Yeah, because, I mean, I believe, if memory serves me right, Trotter wasn't available that game. Uh, I know Gilbert and Jordan Brown I don't think were either. So it was a, it was a, uh, a shorthanded um, uh, K-State backfield, but... Uh, yeah, Jakarta Wright is probably my um, is probably my favorite option uh, back there. Um, you know, Jordan Brown did play in that game, so Jordan Brown uh, nineteen carries for ninety one yards. Let's see, that's kind of the production. So I, my memory was a little bit off there, but no. But Wright six carries for sixty yards, including that big thirty seven yard run he had. Yeah. Uh, down the western sideline. Yeah, great run, uh, and you know, kind of is a different look looking back than what K State's normally used to. A little bit taller, uh, you know, big guy, not necessarily a little scat back. So you have to like what uh, he brings to the table in terms of from a physicality. More uh, of the Daniel Thomas 
style of uh, running. You know, when I think of that big running back, I always do come back to Mike McCoy and how it's really a shame that, uh, you know, health issues uh, were able to – we're able to stop him um, from continuing to play because I don't think much else could have because that guy was a monster. Yeah, well, it's funny how we're going to be talking about that run against Charlotte for years. Like 40 years from yeah. now. We're going to be like, yeah. Mike McCoy, no, you the heard, best that never was. You heard stories, like I remember hearing stories back in, gosh, I want to say like 2016 or so, kind of going into that 2017 season. Uh, obviously the Heisman Trophy winner in 2016, Derrick Henry, and you know, as he was on his way to winning the Heisman Trophy, people were like, "How does anyone ever tackle this guy?" And I remember hearing, you know, uh, from just it wasn't really hearing; it was more just seen on Twitter, like K State players talk about, like, "We've got our own version of of uh, of Derrick Henry." Derrick Henry has nothing on Mike McCoy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Did you see that run against Charlotte? Yeah. Well, this, so this was predated that run yeah, before Charlotte, but I mean, th- th- he. Uh, the, the stuff of Mike McCoy is a little bit of legend, but uh, glad to see that he's still around the program and uh, doing well there. So, um, well, that, I think that wraps it up here for the offense. Anything else you wanted to add? No, I think the story of the season is just going to be uh, whether this offensive line can become cohesive and, and be serviceable enough to let uh, the good pieces uh, around it, I mean the relatively good pieces around it, yeah. uh, do work and whether or not Thompson's going to, rise to the occasion and finally figure out the issues he's really battled his entire career at K-State, and that's namely just becoming comfortable in the pocket. Comfortable in the pocket, you know, I, I think that's really, if you have to nail down one thing, that's got to be it. Yeah, you know I, mean, I mean, it's either, it, I mean, if you just look at our sack rate for the last, his entire career, it's like abysmal. It's like the worst in the Big 12 by far. And it's either, okay, either we have a horrible, just outrageously bad pass-blocking offensive line, or... The guy holds on the ball long. The guy holds on to the ball too long, yeah. or goes down too easy, or whatever it is. But the bottom line is, he, we get sacked way too much. He's under pressure way too much. And I think him just becoming comfortable in the pocket, and also receivers getting open, but just the pocket not breaking down around Skylar Thompson, whether it's by his doing, or the offensive line, or whoever, I think that's just going to be the key to this offense becoming serviceable this year and moving forward. Well said, Dilo. Well said. Well, that'll do it here for the offense. Uh, Quick break, and we will be back uh, to discuss the defensive side of the ball. New defensive coordinator this year uh, as the Clandy Man takes over uh, for Scotty Hazleton. We'll be back after this. All right, welcome back to this week's edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. We are here. uh, I am Dilo. I'm here with the Icon. We're breaking down K-State's defensive side of the ball. Uh, Dilo, before you get too much further, I just want to say how good it is to be on with you right now. It's, it's fantastic. It's I wonderful. Mean, I know we've both been really working from home lately, but uh, that gives us an opportunity to grind on as much film as possible yeah. and really just get down into the mechanics. I mean, mm-hmm. we both have our VCR, our film rooms here. Mm-hmm. We can really go through comfortably. I mean, don't get us wrong. We love grinding it in our office space, looking over all this data. But it's also, there's something to be said for just spending your days in your home film room breaking down film yeah. instead of just at the office and breaking down film. Yeah, it, it's great to use my home grease board and be able to break things down there and, you know, drop new formations and new plays. And, you know, it's it's something that, you know, the offseason's over now, though, boys. It's time to, uh, to, to get what we grind on, implement it into our projections, and really, you know, bring you guys the best kind of content we can. Yeah, I mean, we're both 
healthy. We, we've had an offseason to really kind of just kind of shore up any... Any deficiencies. Any deficiencies. Any, we're always trying to improve. Yeah, that is. that's goal number four, baby. Oh, 100%. Um, but so, yeah, I, the feeling's mutual, Mr. Icon. It's, yeah, that's great. It, it's absolutely it's great to mutual. Be on. Great to be on. But um, now that we've got some of that out of the way, uh, I wanted to talk to you about the defense. Oh, let's hear it. Some people, call, some people call have called K-State's defense the lynch mob in the past. Yeah, some people have. And so we're here to, to look at them today and see if, you know, the 2020 edition of K-State's defense is going to rival some of the better defenses in K-State history. Yeah. Defenses like 2002. Oh, unbelievable defense. 2000. Remarkable defense. 99. 99. Darn good defense. It's weird that 98's defense never really gets tossed into that mix. Because they had, like, a ton of games where they were allowing 7 points, 13 points. Yeah, and I think people kind of remember, like, that that 98 team did start leaking oil at the end of the season, mainly due to injuries. And, you know, that's one of those things that... But, no, I mean, that 98 team, I mean, that, that linebacking core... The, the defensive line, I mean, you, you look up and down um, that 98 team. There, there were guys that played at the next level for, for a number of years. Mark Simino, uh, Jeff Kelly got drafted, um, Darren Howard. Darren Howard, I yeah. mean, Darren Howard was probably the one that out of that group that probably had the most success. Um, but Mark Simino was – he was in the league for near a decade uh, offhand. Darren Howard was in there for, for about a decade as well. Um, but really just a, a great team. Yeah, I mean, and also the 2007 defense. You have guys like Jeffrey Fitzgerald yeah. on the roster. Yeah, 100%. The sack master. The sack master. Actually, I think... No, that's Grant was, Valentine. You're, you're getting uh, Grant Valentine and Jeff Fitzgerald, I think. Oh, this. you're right. Yeah. And Grant Valentine wasn't on the team until like 2008, I think. Yeah, but he was he was a sack master. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. No, 100%. Most definitely. But anyway, enough, enough uh, waxing poetic... About our nostalgic days, let's talk about 2020. Yeah, let's let's get to it. And let's let's start with, uh, I think the most uh, impressive unit uh, of the three primary levels here. I'm talking about the linebackers. We have some familiar faces and some faces of old that are returning to uh, to the starting lineup. And, and why don't you tell us about the 2020 linebacking core? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, really, when you look at it, I think that K State had. A big hole there going into last year's uh, last year's team. Uh, no Justin Hughes with Justin Hughes tearing his ACL uh, back in 2019. Him coming back this year in 2020. While you know last year you had guys like uh, Daniel Green uh, get some uh, get some action, and uh, you know that really helps kind of strengthen that overall linebacking course. So you have three guys in a defense that typically only really plays two linebackers uh, going out of that 4-2-5 uh, that you feel pretty good with. I mean, Daniel Green, um, you know, gosh, when you look at what you think a linebacker in 2020 should look like in terms of a guy that's, you know, big, fluid, fast, and, you know, you think that can, you know, make plays at, at really – Behind the line of scrimmage and stoning a guy out in space as well, uh, he he looks the part. And he, I thought he had a nice season last year. It was really his his first year of of um, you know full action. Yeah, I think he had a nice season. But uh, you know the guy that is really kind of uh, the rock of this group 
is Elijah Sullivan uh, from, from my perspective. Uh, I thought he played really good football last year. And I thought he's been a good uh, player for K-State for, for as long as he's been here, when he's been out on the field. I think he's always been um, a dependable tackler, moves well sideline to sideline, and he really gives this defense somebody that really you know sets the tone out there uh, from the middle linebacker position. Um, the, or from the wing line or the weak side linebacker position, rather at the middle linebacker position, K State gets Justin Hughes back. Now, if we get the Justin Hughes back that uh, kind of closed out um, twenty eighteen, then I really like that. But I know that coming off of major uh, reconstructive surgery, you don't know what exactly it, how that knee is going to hold up. If K State gets pre injury Justin Hughes. I don't think it's a far fetch to say that K State's got some of the better linebackers uh, in the conference. I think it's a it's a definitely a, a unit right now that I would say is one of the top four or so in in the conference. But once I see Justin Hughes back, and if I can make the determination that he hasn't really lost a step, then it, I think it can even be you know even higher than that. You know, top two, maybe even the best in the conference. Wow, that's a uh, high praise. Hundred percent. It's it's well, I think it's well earned, and I I don't think it's really that crazy. Just, but it's heavily dependent on whether or not Hughes comes well, back looking he, like yeah, pre-injury. because just because of how good he was pre-injury. Right. I mean, it, it's not like oh well, he was just okay. I mean, he was really. I think he, the I felt so bad for him, you know, going in uh, to twenty nineteen because I thought at the end of twenty eighteen, like the last three to four games, I remember of twenty eighteen, I thought he was playing at an all conference level. Yeah. And um, I think that that's not a, an unrealistic expectation for him to to you know be at that level again. I mean, especially with him. I mean, God, I will say one thing about our linebackers. So we got two senior two seniors there with Sullivan and Hughes. I believe they have both been here since 2016. So yeah. I mean, I mean, these guys have. I mean, they they have been here. They are, they are, you're not going to find many more experienced players in college football than these guys. The amount of coaching turnover those guys have seen. Sure. Uh, I don't know that many, I mean, just from defense coordinator perspective, mm-hmm. I don't know if outside of Lawrence, Kansas, I don't know if there's a, another group in the conference that's seen so much turnover at the defensive coordinator position uh, during their careers. Yeah, but I mean, I in Daniel Green, I think provides great backup at either of those spots. You know, in terms of whether injury occurs or just you know needing a blow, getting knocked up during the game, uh, whether if it's just like cramp, you know, sting or whatever the case is, I feel pretty good about the three linebackers that K State has there. Cody Fletcher, I also thought played pretty well at times when called upon. So I think this is a unit that has a good amount of depth and is one that. If I had to say is a strength for K State from a position standpoint, uh, I would have to say this is where you look at for that. Well, and that's an interesting point because I mean, I've heard several different people say several different things when it comes to where the strength of this uh, defensive unit is. Um, and before I move on to some of the to some of these other aspects, I want to touch on Daniel Green for just a moment because I sure. thought you raised a good point. That I think he was kind of thrown into the wolves last yeah. year, playing a lot. Yeah, he played a uh, lot when he's young. Very. And so I think this year will be a good chance for him to kind of dial it back a little bit, uh, still get some run on the field, uh, and maybe get a lot of run, uh, bar you know depending on injuries or anything like that. 
but a chance for him to kind of step back and reevaluate and learn from some of the veterans and just be more of a student than being forced to trial by fire like he did last year. So I think uh, it'll be it'll also be good to have him out there on the field, you know, in, in those three linebacker packages, you know, with with Justin Hughes and Sullivan because the other thing too is I mean Justin Hughes made it very apparent that he was, you know, doing all he could to to support and to coach, you know, uh, members of the defense, you know, while he was, you know, setting out with an injury. But getting them on the field together, I think that adds another uh, – I think that can add another dimension in terms of uh, kind of the tutelage of, of, of uh, Daniel Green with Justin Hughes out there. Absolutely. Um, so I want to move now to the defensive line. Sure. And I think uh, out of the entire team, I think – White Hubert is the guy who uh, is, if there's, I don't want to say household name, but if there's a name that people are expecting a lot of this year out of any Kansas State player, I think White Hubert is the guy. I think on NCAA football, he would be our overall top rated, he'd have our top overall rating. Oh, you think so? Who do you think it would be? Maybe Blake Lynch. The kickers are always kind oh, of okay. kind of the kickers are always <laughs> yeah. somewhat All right. inflated. Fair enough. Fair enough. But I I, I think that you're right. I think you're right. Yeah. I, I don't think there's really any question. So White Hubert obviously going to be a linchpin on this defensive line. Uh, I think the biggest question this year about White Hubert in my mind is whether or not uh, a he's going to be first team All Conference and b whether or not he's going to be around next year. Um, maybe that's putting yeah. the cart before the horse a little bit, but I think that he's a known commodity, and we all have very high hopes for him uh, yeah. at the defensive end spot. But tell me about the other three spots and, and what you see there, because K-State's going to have to replace some starters along the defensive line. Yeah, so this is probably – I think it's interesting, because the defensive line, you break it down between the interior uh, defensive linemen and then your defensive end. So – Let's start a defensive end first. Wyatt Hubert, all Big 12 player. Like I said, I think he's one of the top defensive ends in, in the conference. Uh, I think, you know, he's right up there uh, in terms uh, of a guy. I, I won't say he's one of the best defensive ends in the nation uh, necessarily, but I think, I mean, Well, gosh, three conferences playing football this year. Yeah, then he's one, and he's yeah. one three. He's going to be, if, if he's all conference in the Big 12, he's certainly challenging for an All-American spot. And, you know, he is really a terrific player. Uh, I hope that... Uh, you know, fans maybe that that don't know Wyatt Hubert throughout the throughout the conference. Uh, I hope they get a chance to, to watch him play this year because I mean, what you're going to see is a guy that is always in the backfield and has always uh, got a motor that that makes him uh, a guy that whether if he's not getting um, not getting the sack, he's at least getting the pressure. Uh, and chasing that quarterback around back there. But, you know, what I think is going to be the interesting thing is that with Wyatt Hubert at one defensive end position, uh, it kind of reminds me back in 2017 with uh, with Jordan Willis at one defensive end position and then freshman uh, Reggie Walker at the other uh, defensive end position. Reggie Walker had his best year at K-State playing opposite of Jordan Willis because Jordan Willis was getting a ton of attention. I think you might see something similar like that this year, and uh, I think Khalid Duke is going to be a recipient of, you know, a lot of the benefits, so to speak, uh, of uh, Huber being double teamed. So, 
I think Hubert is a guy that you know opposing Big Twelve fans and opposing you know Big Twelve coaches are going to circle on any scouting report and say this is a guy that you know we're going to double triple team run away from him uh, roll away from him whatever the case is and uh, I think Khalid Duke is is more than capable uh, of stepping up in a big way I know uh, Wyatt Hubert uh, called him a baller baller called him a baller Khalid Duke baller. Uh, the, the, the exact the exact uh, I think the question was like hey why who, who out here has impressed you and why Hubert just said Khalid Duke is a baller yeah period end of story so that's high praise right there when you're starting to throw out the term baller that's big news yeah people okay. don't throw you don't throw that word out there just haphazardly. Don't say it if you don't mean it. Yeah, and that's and I, I don't think there's any any doubt about that. So I think defensive ends. I think you look you you look really kind of good there. I feel like Bronson Massey. He's been around for a while. He provides some good depth at, at either one of those spots. I, I've heard people call him Boom. Yeah, here comes the Boom baby. Yeah, that's a so, cool nickname. Yeah, it is. It is. So he he'll be out there as well. Um, and then you know defensive tackle is probably. You know something that we're we're you know missing a little bit at. We lost um, you know some guys last year that were in, in the mix. Uh, Jordan Mitty um, among uh, one that comes to mind. I thought he had a nice little year last year. Um, you know Drew Wiley. I don't know what um, you're going to uh, t- to to see with him necessarily. I mean Trey Deshaun was a really nice player for K State for for a while and. They had some they had some depth back there, so I, I just don't know exactly what you're going to get out of Drew Drew Wiley and Eli Huggins. Those are probably the two guys, uh, you know, most likely to start the two interior line positions. Yeah, but careful about running inside because that's the boombox. The boombox is that is that what you're calling it? That's what people have been calling it that for a long time. Is that a fact? Many people have been. So is yeah. that is that in, is that in relation at all to Boom Massey? Should he maybe make the switch to uh, defensive? Or a defensive tackle? Is that what am I hearing? Maybe I, I think that? I think maybe so. Yeah, it's not a bad idea. Well, Casey, the, the the one thing that I've noticed under, uh, well, I guess it was under Scotty Hazelton, who of course uh, is no longer at Kansas State, but um, the one thing I noticed was they they did a good job, you know, rotating guys in and out. Right. And uh, you're going to see some of that. Uh, I expect this year as well. Yeah, the, I think uh, I'm with you. The uh, interior of the defensive line is going to be the biggest question mark uh, for K-State along that front. But as far as the edges go, I like what we see there, and I expect uh, opposing quarterbacks to be uh, a little bit worried about uh, Mr. Duke and, uh, and of course, the much ballyhooed uh, White Huber. Yeah, I think in terms of a pass rushing combo, uh, K-State has, has some really intriguing options, of course. With Hubert, you know what you're going to get, but I think the ceiling for Khalid Duke is really uh, tantalizing. Absolutely. I'll, I'll, I'll say tantalizing. Well, and the other uh, guy who's getting some all-conference buzz and is really receiving a lot of respect uh, over the offseason is, of course, A.J. Parker. Yeah. The guy in the secondary uh, who's been just a nice, steady piece for the last couple of years uh, for the K-State uh, defense uh, defending the pass. Um, what do you see in terms of the secondary this year? Of course, Walter Neal, a guy who saw some significant playing time, has opted out and has uh, elected to transfer mm-hmm. away from K-State. Um, the circumstances surrounding that, 
nobody quite knows. I haven't heard too much about motivations, but uh, this year, regardlessly of that, uh, who do you see stepping in to fill that void and, and kind of how the uh, secondary is going to look uh, for pretty much everybody except uh, A.J. Parker? Yeah, so good point with Walter Neal opting out. Jonathan Alexander, uh, guy who played a lot at, at the safety position, also opting out. So K-State uh, going to be challenged a little bit uh, depth-wise in terms of uh, what they have in the defensive backfield. But a couple of guys that I look at, you know, let, let's just first talk, talk on A.J. Parker. Really good player. Got injured last year late. Um, you wonder, because I, I, I believe it was a broken leg for, for A.J. Parker. You wonder how he's going to come back from that. Uh, presuming that he is healthy and good to go. And, you know, he is one of the better cornerbacks, I think, in the league. I mean, I don't know if he's a first-team guy, but he's a second, third-team I think he could be first team. Uh, he could be, and 100% could be. Uh, I, I think the one thing that I'm a little bit concerned about with this um, with this group is when you have guys like uh, Goolsby that started for three, four years that just never came off the field. There's not a, lot, a whole lot of depth behind him at that position. Now, I don't think Goolsby is an immeasurable loss by any stretch. But he played a lot of football, and you probably have Jerron McPherson take over for, for him there, who I think could easily be an upgrade. I think Jerron McPherson's a very talented player. Uh, I think he plays with a great edge, which I love to see, especially from a, from a guy playing that free safety position, playing center field back there. He has the opportunity to be involved uh, you know, in the run game as well. I think a very talented player that K-State fans uh, should keep an eye on uh, here throughout the 2020 season. Uh, Wayne Jones, I thought he disappointed me a little bit last year uh, in the secondary. The, the games against – I, I come back to that West Virginia game uh, against uh, – in Manhattan. Again, the K-State had absolutely no business losing. I think it was – what was it? It was a third and – 27, third and 24, and they pick it up, and I believe they score a touchdown to play. Where you had a, you could p- pick your point, you could pick your poison on who you wanted to blame for that one. There were plenty of uh, plenty of people that had their hand up uh, that could that could be blamed for that one. But the, the I always position, opted for Goolsby on that play. I Goolsby, I think I think Wayne Jones got my uh, my wrath on that one, if I remember correctly, looking back at the uh, at the film there. But you know, when I look through so many hours of game tape, it it, it kind of does run to get run together at some point. That's why they call you the mad scientist, man. Yeah, that's right, man. You're you're always in there grinding. But you know, there is some ta- there is some experience back there. Um, you know, Wayne Jones played really one year. Played, but he played a whole whole lot in, in his one year. Coming back for his second year, you expect to see some growth there. Uh, Jerome McPherson, like I said, a senior. He's played pretty good parts of, of two years now. I feel like he should be uh, able to slide in at free safety uh, pretty well. The real interesting thing now is, is from a secondary standpoint, looking at the nickelback and the other cornerback position uh, opposite A.J. Parker. I think Lance Robinson is probably going to be that cornerback uh, opposite A.J. Parker. And for the nickelback, uh, you know, reports are maybe Will Jones uh, is a guy that could be uh, in the nickel, as well as Keandre Thomas, the transfer from Minnesota. 
Uh, he rode his boat down uh, to Manhattan, Kansas. All the way from Minnesota. All, all the way from Minnesota. And, uh, you know, K-State has some options back there. A little bit green uh, in terms of some of the experience. And not necessarily, you know, Keandre Thompson is a graduate transfer senior. However, he's new here to this system, new here to, to the Big 12. So you have to wonder exactly how that transition is going. But K-State has some bodies. However, you know, it, it's not – a wealth of experience behind him in terms of guys like Will Jones Fred is a freshman. Uh, maybe T.J. Smith uh, gets in. If, if you've been uh, on Twitter, you've seen his uh, his highlight tapes that he posts. He's got some quick feet, my man. Uh, yeah, he's got those... Uh, awful shifty. He's got there. those feet and, and those uh, swivelly hips that you like to see uh, out of the uh, secondary players. So, yeah, we might see a little bit of... Uh, T. Denson, uh, T. Denson as well as, as, a, as a quarterback. I, I would be surprised... And especially, um, you know, with the redshirt rule, you know, you get four to use to redshirt. I, I have, and also with the with the rule of an extra year of eligibility, I'll be interested to see how the staff handles that. I, I would expect to see, you know, K-State had a big class of defensive backs that came in uh, in the 2020 recruiting class. I expect them all to, to get a chance to see some time. Wow. So, yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I think that secondary to me seems like the biggest question mark in terms of who's going to play where along the defense. I don't mind the, I don't mind the talent there, though. No, I, I, I don't either. Um, I'm, as far as the three units, I think I'm, it's nice to have A.J. Parker back there. I'm a little bit – I'd say I'm probably, aside from – yeah, I'm going to have to go with secondary is the unit I'm most concerned about. Uh, for the defense, just because it that seems to be the unit with the most chaos um, and the most to replace, I guess. But uh, and, you know, the other thing too is I have to think that the defense takes a little bit of, of a step back last year. I mean, they were they were the best in the country in terms of third down efficiency. However, they were some of the worst in the in the country in terms of first and second down efficiency, which was kind of an odd odd deal there. If they could get to third down and mid or long. Yeah, they are great. Yeah. But they didn't get there as often <laughs> as maybe they should. No. So it, it was one of those weird kind of phenomenons there. Well, and they had a lot of games where they would just – I mean, I'm speaking generally here, but th- there were a number of games where the tackling was just abysmal. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned it earlier, but Chuba Hubbard last year just – what did he run for? Like – Close think, to 300 yards. Yeah, I think it was like 260. Yeah, 275, I mean, it, it somewhere around there. Confounding how they could look so different one week to the next in terms of tackling. But well, and that was the thing too is I generally I thought K State last year played pretty well against the run. Yeah. But then then you think back and say like, well, wait a minute, they gave up 300 yards to Chuba Hubbard. They you know they got gashed against um, uh, against Baylor as well, but then you get Navy, and then Navy. Well, and Navy's a little bit of an albatross in terms of their style of offense. But I mean, gosh, you look at those, and then you then you think back to saying, you know, like wait, Oklahoma had like eight yards combined rushing be- with the running backs. Yeah, and, and you're like, well, you know, they didn't really run the ball much because they just kind of abandoned it for whatever reason. So I mean, there there are certain things that make last year's defense kind of interesting from from a number standpoint, but um, at the same time, I think that it, it's unrealistic to have the expectation that this is going to be the best team in the country on third down again. But I also think it's 
at the same time, unrealistic to think that they're going to be one of the worst on first and second again. So I think it'll fall somewhere in the meet, in the middle. We won't be as good on third down, but defensively, I think I'm optim I'm optimistic that they'll be a maybe average to slightly above average unit. I think that's kind of the 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 ceiling probably for this defense is is sniffing around fifth in the conference. In, ter- in terms of in terms of where when you when you look back at this when you look back at the twenty twenty season say yeah you know K State was they were all right defense middle of the road well high praise for the defense from the icon uh, could be slightly above average folks <laughs> if that doesn't get them fired up I don't know what will I'll know? put butts in seats yeah <laughs> um, well uh, anything else to talk about defensive wise before we move on to the uh, everybody's favorite portion of the preseason preview which is the specialists. Yeah, let's get right to the specialists. That, right. I, I've, I've been ready for that all, all, all offseason. All right, so, so return-wise, we have uh, kickoff returner. We have Joshua Youngblood. I think yep. that's the most likely guy. 100%. Uh, punt returner, we'll see if it's Youngblood or guys like uh, Phil, Phil Brooks. Brooks. Yeah, yeah, in Brooks. The best I, in the world. Best in the world, Philip Brooks. Um, I'm trying to think, who else? Do, you know, would Joe Irvin maybe get a little run back there? I don't see why not. Yeah, I mean, they're, they Frankly, have some options. Why not just put Youngblood in for punts? Well, because here's why. Because he gets exhausted? Because then he has to go play offense. It didn't stop Aaron Lockett. It didn't stop David Allen. Well, David Allen didn't play a ton of offense. He played enough. Chuck Youngblood didn't, now, now, didn't Tyler, play a ton now, of Tyler, offense. Now, uh, Tyler Lockett and Aaron Lockett, yeah. I mean, they, they were ironing out there. Yeah. Just put, put the best returner in. As often as you get. I mean, how many kick returns did, did you have know, last year? Did you know back in 98, Aaron Lockett had almost 1,000 yards receiving as a true freshman? I didn't. Isn't that crazy? That is. He, like, I looked it up the other day. He had, I, I want to say he was in the nine, like 950 or something like that. That's wild. Like, I, I didn't think he had that. He was the second leading receiver on that team. Well, and it's not as if like in that 98 team, he was like K-State was out there no, you have bombing. Like, throwing it like Mike Leach 45 times a year. Yeah, I mean, our passing numbers were, just recalling from memory, our passing numbers weren't outrageous or anything. No. Um, so, yeah, that's really, that's yeah. really surprising that he was, I mean, and you guys like Darnell McDonald out there, too. Who yeah. Are, it's not like he was, like, the only option. No, 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 not at all. But, no, I think, not to get too far off subject here, but, yeah, I think K-State's always going to, I should say always, but this year and in – I think that there is a, an emphasis in the K-State program that is that has made the transition from Snyder to Kleiman. That special teams is an important part of important part of it here, and um, you know Youngblood, after not really doing a whole lot through the first half of the season, kind of transitions himself. You know, because what was it? He had returns against. Um, let me think here. He had returns against well, Iowa State. Iowa State at the last game of the season. He had returns against. Um, gosh, I'm gonna look back at that schedule here. He had games. Oh yeah, Texas Tech, and then did he have one against? Oh, he had one against Texas. So he finished three out of his la- out of his the last four games of the season. Three returns for a touchdown, and that kind of got him to All American honors. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, he got hot at the end of the season, but you hope that he can continue that. Uh, here, here in 2020. But, but we're projecting likely best in the world. Phil Brooks, uh, probably getting most of the run at punt returner. 
Yeah, I mean, that, I think that's a that's fair to say. He got some last year. Yeah, I, I think that's fair to say. Um, okay, well, let's go ahead and uh, let's talk about the guys who kick it for eleven. Let's do it. You know, hit me. Um, the punter. That is an open competition here as we as we uh, make our way to twenty twenty. Devin Angel had some bombs. Then he also had kind of some like dud punts. Yeah, uh, yeah, he, he, some inconsistency. But you know, being a punter is not an easy job. He made uh, he had good memes. Yeah, he was. He's a he's a real he's a real character from what I, what yeah. I can tell. Uh, so you, so Casey will surely miss that in the locker room. Uh, but uh, you got Ty Zetner, probably the uh, the um, the odds-on favorite, so to speak, to be the punter. A junior college product out of Butler Community College, I believe. They say he has a cannon for a leg. A cannon for a leg? How does he walk around with that? You thing? know, I've I've heard that I've heard a cannon for an arm. Yeah, you don't really hear too much about guys who have cannons for legs. Oh, he does. He has a cannon for a leg. <laughs> he just shoots it right on out of there. Oh, wow. Yeah, so, but... The howitzer. Yeah. He, he's going to be probably your... Get the first crack at punter. Well, now, you've been grinding on his Juco film yeah. a little bit in the lab. Mm-hmm. And what did you see? That Did you see good stuff? Yeah, you know, he has a really nice high leg finish. And that's something you really like to see. He he had a couple games where he little little... And, you know, sometimes the coverage isn't great, so they don't get down there as quick as they can. I mean, he, he boots a 48, 49-yard punt, but he ends up netting like 25 yards yeah. because, you know, the guys don't get down there and or they don't stay in their lanes like you'd expect them to. Well, the Jayhawk League puts a big emphasis on punt returns too, so it's not – Oh, yeah, you always have, you know, good talent out there returning those punts. Yeah, it, it's not a punter-friendly league by any stretch. Oh, no question. It's – yeah, if he wanted to go play in a punter friendly league, he would have gone to the California JUCO league. Yeah, I mean that—that's where punters go and flourish. That's yeah, a lot of good punter talent uh, out there in the Cali JUCOs. Yeah. Well, that takes us to uh, the final position in an institution it, as the K State place kicker. I'd say absolutely. And the institution—that's right. Fourteen of sixteen last year on field goals, nineteen of twenty on PATs. The year before that, 19 of 21 on field goals, 46 of 46 on PATs, second team All-Big 12. I'm talking about the, the one. Neat, the neat little guy himself. The one, the only, Blake Lynch. And, you know, it's really – I mean, you remember the story. He was serving as a janitor at, in the football. Yeah, and he noticed a chalkboard with a math problem on it. <laughs> yeah, it, doesn't, it, it sounds, uh, you know, just like Goodwill Hunting uh, almost. But, uh, yeah, I mean – Guy that was uh, paid his own way and came on and has been a very consistent and um, you know a valuable part of uh, of K State special teams over the last two years. Yeah, he's been steady, and that's what you want out of a kicker. I mean, it's a it's a guy. It's a position that you take for granted until uh, you have a bad one, and yep. and then it's then absolutely it's a crisis. So it, it's nice to have Blake back again this year, and, and we expect a fine season for him, and uh, maybe pushing for all conference honors. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, a guy. I mean, gosh, I'd have to look up, but I don't think inside of like thirty-five yards he's ever missed a field goal, and he's the only ones I think he's. I think, gosh, dang, I think he's of the four field goals he's missed in his college career, they've all been over forty-five, and I think three of them were over fifty. 
So once you get past 50 yards, that, that that's a tough kick for him. But that's hey, that's, college kickers, man. That's right, brother. That's right, brother. Well, you know what they say. That's what they say. But suffice to say, Blake Lynch is really good. Yeah, and, and it's, he's it's nice it, to have. And that's the thing too is you don't you shouldn't have to expect a kicker to go out there and you, you it'd be it's a luxury if you could say you know what I dropped my kicker out there and 75 percent of the time he's going to be able to make a 47 yarder. That just doesn't. In college, that doesn't really occur. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, but I, when you say, okay, I, I want you to make anything under 40, I mean, he's been automatic, like truly automatic on, under 40, which those are the ones you kind of have to count on. Um, and because you get down there, you drive down there, and not to come, not to come away with anything is, is certainly just disappointing. But I think, he, um, I think he's obviously been a steady contributor for K-State, and I expect that to continue. All right. Well, now that we've kind of talked about the three units, uh, we're, we will, of course, be back next week to do more of a macro breakdown of the other teams in the Big 12. And there we'll, we'll kind of talk about where we see K-State fitting in uh, schedule-wise and, and kind of parse out where we expect them to finish uh, within the Big 12. But for now, I have a little question just relative to K-State. We're going to do sure. a little one-on-one Ask the Icon session. All right. You got it? it on me. Uh this is going to be a series of questions, all related uh, to the same way, and I, I think you'll figure it out after the first two. Okay. So, the 2020 edition of Kansas State, do you expect them to be better or worse than the 2018 Kansas State team? I expect them to be better. You expect them to be better than 2018? Yeah. Now, I don't, I don't need a long idea. Yeah. Better or worse? Better. Right? Better. Expect them to be better. Okay, the 2020 version of Kansas State. Do you expect them to be better or worse than the 2019 version of Kansas State? Better or worse doesn't necessarily mean having a better record, correct? That's right. Just just a just a more talented, better team. Correct. If you dropped them on the field, who would win? Um, that's a real that's a toss up. I'd say it's a toss up. I would probably. Hedge slightly. Hedge slightly to 2019. And now the final question, Mr. Icon. In this week's edition of Ask the Icon. The 2020 version of Kansas State. Here today, do you expect them to be better or worse than the 2021 version of Kansas State? I expect the 2021 team to be better, to be better than this version of Kansas State. All right. There you have it, folks. You can get off the hot seat, Mr. Icon. You stop sweating. <laughs> yeah, I was. Uh, I'm, Take a breath. <laughs> did it? It did. It just ranched up about like twenty. You didn't. You put the lights on me. The spotlight was on me. You had that flashlight just blinking in my eyes. Yeah. And I'm, man, I'm relieved to be it off, off that hot seat. Started smacking me around a little. Yeah. Bit. I, I, I. The interrogation's I'm, over. I'm happy to be off the hot seat. You're free to go. Okay. Well, so Dilo, I have to ask your line of question there. What, what were you trying to get at there? I just seeing where you were at from a more hundred mile point of view, and in, in yeah. terms of the state of the program, where where you see it today relative yeah, you know, to I, this year, the year before, and the next year. I could see twenty twenty one. Just to, be, I mean, there's a lot of unknowns. There's a lot of variables. Who's going to yeah. be? Who's, who's is Skyler back? Thompson coming back? Who's going to be gone? Yeah, I mean, why Hubert is he coming back? Is I mean, gosh, could you imagine if if Justin Hughes and Elijah Sullivan came back? <laughs> 
They're like they've they're almost collecting AARP. Yeah, they're, they're still playing college football. They're uh, who's the, I say that and they're you know young bucks still, but they're uh, Perry Ellis status. Yeah. Oh gosh, can you imagine? Yeah. I mean, that's that's essentially. I mean, they've been here. They would have been here for damn near seven years by the time they if they decide to stay. Well, we don't want to get too far out of our ahead of yeah. ourselves because that, that's for that's for a different edition of the short side option. That's right. That's we got ten games of the twenty twenty season to uh, play before we start thinking about twenty twenty one. But Mr. Icon, do you have anything else uh, that you'd like to say to me or our listeners or or, or anything else for us before we uh, leave the program? You know, happy to have football back. Uh, can't believe it's here. Excited to get underway. Can't wait for it. That's right. Hundred percent. So uh that's all I got for you, Dealey. You got anything else you wanna you wanna add? No, I just like to say I'm I'm happy to be back with you too, and and I just like to to tell the listeners that I'm happy to be back over the airwaves and sharing uh, our our musings uh, with them, and that I love them. Yeah, I mean we we, we love the listeners, and uh, you know we also want to give a give a shout out to Email Boys as they are the uh, title sponsor uh, of the uh, inaugural. Uh, Short side option episode of the 2020 season. They do a great job. They, they all and they always do. They always do. They're they're great participate participants uh, in in ask the icon segments over the years and, and you know they do a hell of a job. Yeah, make uh, sure to support our friends over at uh, the email boys. Yeah, and uh, you can find them on Twitter. Here, I'm going to pull this up. I I'm not I'm not as savvy with kind of the Twitter as you are. I know you you're kind of a, a savant when it comes to. Uh, to, to that kind of stuff, but you can follow them at email underscore boys on Twitter. Is that with an S or a Z at the end? That's with an S. Okay. That's really a good, good, good point of clarification. But uh, the email boys, they do a terrific job. Passionate K-State fans, as you've heard, check them out. All right. Well, Mr. Icon, you want to take us out? Uh, folks, that'll do us here for this edition of the Short Side Option. We'll be back next week to preview K-State's season opener against Arkansas State and take a look at the rest of the Big 12 Conference as we enter the 2020 season. For the Icon Delu, signing off. This is the short side option.